This morning we're going to consider the judgment of the enemies of God and we're looking at 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through to 9. Last week we saw in 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through to 3 that the Apostle Peter gave a warning that there would be false teachers who would infiltrate churches with their heresies and consequently they would heap judgment upon themselves and upon their willing hearers. What Peter predicted has come to pass and is very evident in our day and age with a whole range of false teaching, particularly concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Invariably, they endeavour to strip Jesus of his divinity and they add works of the law to his gospel. Today we shall look at three examples of God's judgment against those who oppose him and also we shall see his protective care of those who know and love him. The first example concerns the fallen angels or demons. The second refers to the flood in Noah's time. And the third is about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. These examples are given to show the certainty of God's judgment on the wicked. First of all, concerning the fallen angels, in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 it is written, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. There's a parallel verse in the second to last book of the Bible, Jude, chapter 1, verse 6, where it is written, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he have reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto judgment of the last, of the great day. You might want to bookmark Jude. We'll be coming back to it. The angels that sinned, according to 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4, are thought by some to be, as they see it, angels that married the daughters of men in Noah's time, and they had children with those women. For it is written in Genesis chapter 6 verse 2 and 4, the sons of God, whom these people assume are angels, saw the daughter of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. However, it makes far more sense to understand that passage as saying that godly men entered into marriage relationships with ungodly women, and they bear children to them. Otherwise, you'll have to imagine that angels, which are spirit creatures, married women and bear to them offspring, which were half human and half demon. 
as to what the sin of the angels in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 actually was, it is not given. However, according to Jude chapter 1 verse 6, they kept not their first estate. Therefore, in one way or another, the sin of those angels had something to do with the status and responsibilities that God had assigned to them. Whatever their sin was, it resulted in them being cast down to hell. <clears throat> that is very sobering language, and even more sobering, if it were possible, when you appreciate that cast down to hell is just one word in Greek, tartarao, and it appears only once in the whole Bible, right here in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. Tartarahu refers to the deepest abyss of hell. According to verse 4, those angels who sinned and were cast down to the deepest abyss of hell have been delivered into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Chains of darkness or pits of darkness is a very solemn metaphor indeed. And what it tells us is that those angels are as far away from God and his light as you can get. As for being reserved unto judgment, in Jude chapter 1 verse 6 it is written, Reserved unto judgment of the great day. Therefore, those angels are being held in deepest, darkest hell until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again in judgment. All demons, whether they have already been delivered into chains of darkness in hell, or else they're in the world, as the devil himself is in the world, as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour, they all know that the time will come when they will be judged. For example, when the Lord Jesus Christ crossed over the Sea of Galilee to cast out a multitude of demons from a man. It is written in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. They, that is the demons, cried out saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Before the time refers to the day of judgment. Let's be very clear about what Peter is saying. When you keep in mind the fact that the confinement in deepest, darkest hell of those angels that sinned and their future punishment is given as an example of God's judgment on false teachers and their heresies, can you see what a serious matter it is, twisting the scriptures and teaching heresy? It's certainly a very solemn and sobering thought for me as a church leader, but also it ought to serve as an encouragement and an inducement to all of you to study the word of God with much prayer and to proclaim it with great care. Also, we're probably all familiar with the idea that when people are accused of a crime, 
they remain innocent until such time evidence is presented in a court of law and they are found guilty. That is the procedure, regardless of whether the accused are free until their trial or else they are kept in custody. You'll see that things are very different when it comes to the tribunal of God. For example, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again and sits in judgment, there will be no lawyers, there will be no juries, and there will be no need for Jesus to hear any evidence. To those who love him, that is, to those who have trusted in him and belong to him, having been redeemed with his precious blood, he will say, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and they shall go away into life eternal. But to those who have never trusted in Jesus, including the false teachers, he will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels and they shall go away into everlasting punishment. We shall now consider the example of the flood in Noah's time. In verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 2, it is written, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world, of the ungodly. The flood was the judgment of God upon a wicked world in which every imagination of the thoughts of men's hearts was only evil continually. The whole earth was filled with violence. Almighty God spared just eight people, including Noah, by shutting them into an ark. As for everyone else, they perished. Peter refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness. That is clearly something that the false teachers whom Peter warned of were not, and that is still most certainly the case in our day and age. Precisely what Noah preached is not given, but since it was about righteousness, it must have been about what is acceptable to a, to a holy and sin-hating God. Also, since Noah has a place in the chapter of faith in the epistle to the Hebrews, where the first verse of chapter 11 defines faith as being the substance of things hoped for, it can be further assumed that Noah's hope was anchored on the Saviour who was to come into the world many years later. Indeed, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 tells us that Noah became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. In other words, as the Bible commentator John Gill said, Noah became heir of the righteousness which is by faith, not of the law, but of the righteousness of Christ, and of eternal life through that. In this second example, we see an application not only for teachers, but for hearers as well. 
presumably, Noah was not just preaching righteousness to his family, who ended up being saved with him in the ark. Therefore, for however many years it took him to build the ark, people would have been watching him building it, they would have questioned him about it, they would have heard his righteous preaching, and possibly they would have laughed him to scorn, right up until the time that the flood came and they perished. By the way, the flood is historical fact, and the Lord Jesus Christ made reference to it when he spoke about what would precede his second coming. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 37 through to 41, Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For, as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. There are many churches where error is taught, where the hearers heap up teachers to tickle their ears as those false teachers entertain them and they proclaim inoffensive little fables which are devoid of any call to show repentance for sin and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, one day, at a time that is only known to God, Jesus will come again, and when that happens, the false teachers, the willing hearers of smooth things, and also many others in the world, will be getting on with their Christless existences. As for the other people in the world, the small remnant of people who are trusting in Jesus and who are clothed in his righteousness, having been washed in his blood, they will be taken up to meet him in the air and then will come the final judgment, which the flood in Noah's time pointed to. The third example that is given by Peter takes the reader back to the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll have a look at verse 6 through to 8. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds again it is an example of God's judgment on all but a few on that occasion the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven according to Genesis chapter 19 verse 24. Interestingly, some of the commentators explain 
But what actually happened is that God judged the people by means of an earthquake eruption. However, the word of God categorically tells us that it was from the Lord out of heaven. Also, understand very clearly that God really did destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and all but three of the inhabitants perished. In fact, Moses referred to Sodom and Gomorrah in Deuteronomy chapter 29 when he gave a warning to Israel about the curses of God's law for disobedience. The three people who were spared were a a man called Lot and his two daughters. You may remember that Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Peter makes mention of the filthy conversation or behaviour of the wicked inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jude in his epistle shed some light on what that behaviour consisted of. In Jude chapter 1 verse 7 he says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Therefore, the inhabitants were, to say the least, sexually deviant. For example, it can be seen in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 4, that the men wanted to forcibly engage complete strangers in homosexual activity. When you look at the state of affairs today, it's reasonable to say that that at least some of the evil acts that were committed by the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and which resulted in their destruction have been legalised by our ungodly politicians and sexual immorality is now being promoted on primetime television and even in our schools. Furthermore, Those who speak up against such evils are themselves considered to be evil. However, the word of God is unchanging and what was evil and worthy of judgment back in Lot's day remains evil and worthy of brimstone and fire to this very day, even in our land. But God is merciful and forgives all who truly repent and trust in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said to born-again Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through to 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that's a reference to homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Did you get the last bit? Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 
Praise God for his mercy and his grace towards hell-deserving sinners, whether they be teachers of lies or else anyone for that matter. For there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve to be held in chains in deepest, darkest hell, and we all deserve to perish in a flood of brimstone and fire. Even so, forgiveness for sin and eternal life are freely available to all who repent and trust in Jesus. Amen.